do you like the way you pitched today maybe more so than last time yeah i mean i today i feel pretty good you know pretty better with my breaking stuff uh i've been throwing better you know breaking ball change up uh but at the same time be throwing like good fastball and trying to get ahead of the hitter and your breaking ball today it looked a little sharper kind of like more down with less sort of uh horizontal movement is that by design yeah yeah that's what we're trying trying to get you know on top of the ball uh and we're more north side than you know east west with my with my upper body so i think that helped well, certainly did seem to help. That was Jose Barrios after yesterday's six innings of work, six strikeouts. The Blue Jays beating the Oakland Athletics. Kevin Barker, 2-1, ending a five-game losing streak. Home runs from Matt Chapman and Bo Bichette. And I want to talk, I know you've, you've got a lot to say about Matt Chapman, and I want to talk about Matt Chapman in a minute. But let's talk first and foremost about Jose Barrios. And we have always said that... For Jose Barrios to be successful, the curveball is an important pitch for him. So walk me through why that's the case. Put it in layman's terms so all our listeners can understand why the curve is so important. And what tells you when he has a good curve? Okay, I'm not sure I'm in the camp with everybody else that says he has to have a a good curveball. It helps because he is a spin-first guy. He's not a high-octane velocity guy. And... That in that means he has to have some spin. He has to use it to both sides of the plate. Now he has mentioned there that he's he's trying to go away from the slurve. You know, he it's a lot of the times the slurve is a more horizontal pitch, it, right? It, it was, it, as opposed to it, that, it looks it's, exactly how it sounds. Okay, it's it, when it leaves the fingers, the hitter can tell it's a breaking ball. Like it's very slurvy, doesn't have a lot of break to it. You can see the dot. Like it's just not a a very good breaking ball at this level and that's what he's trying to get away with he or away from he's trying to get it more up and down which makes a little bit more sense because that can get more swing and misses and i think that's what he's trying to do with two strikes now he he did have one because he's moved on on one side of the rubber now he's on the third base side of the rubber instead of the first base side of the rubber when he was on the first base side of the rubber he was just trying to open up the area that he wanted to throw it to when he's on the third base side of the rubber now you can imagine him standing on the third base side of the rubber and watches a right-handed hitter come in, all of a sudden the area that he wants to throw it to is smaller. Right. Like the the target looks just, smaller. It looks smaller. Him. Absolutely it does. So now what do you do with your mechanics? For me, why they moved him over there was more deception than it had to do with the breaking ball, getting it out front, tunneling. Now I know they'll say tunneling, but for me it's more deception because of the arm angle. He's more of a three-quarter arm angle. When he kicks his leg, he's got a little deception where he hides his glove and it's getting on the hitter a little bit more. And, you know, that, for me, when he's throwing the two-seamer arm side, that's his arm side, that's into a righty, away to a lefty, and his misses are good with it. That that would mean it starts on the black and it ends up in way into a righty. That's a good miss. But early in games, when he can start locating that inner third on the black, that allows him to, you know, deeper he'll go in the game, he'll start starting that a little bit closer to the righty, and it goes in off the plate. But because he's starting to locate that early in games and throwing it for strikes, that gets hitters in swing mode. And when you get them in swing mode, they tend to lose plate awareness. That was my issue. I've told you this since day one we've been doing this show together. I said the reason why I didn't have 10 years in the big leagues is because I lost plate awareness. It was a real issue for me 
whenever I started my swing to know what a ball and a strike was in. For a lot of guys, it's just very hard. Release point, whatever that is, as a pitcher, it's very hard sometimes for a hitter to go, okay, here's where the black part of that plate is. I really don't want to swing at that because I can jam myself. Most hitters don't have perfect mechanics. They're not short and quick to the baseball all the time. So how, how do you have room for error? Well, you force the ball a little bit further away from you and that sort of, for me, is what they're trying to do. At least that's, you know, the conversation you have, uh, that I've had with Petey and and just watching him, why he's moving around on the rubber, gives him a little bit more confidence and thinks almost deception's a new pitch, right? It's like all of a sudden when I'm a right-handed hitter, I walk up and I have to almost adjust. Let me see if I can do this where people can see it. So if I'm a right-handed hitter, and I I'm, I'm sort of have my my chin sitting on my left shoulder now that he's so far on the left side of the rubber now I have to put tension on my neck to get both eyes on the target which is not always the easiest mm-hmm. thing to do now as a hitter I'm thinking more about that than I am see ball hit ball so I think for me anyway I I, I know spinning's an easy way to say cuz he likes to throw it and he'll throw that more than the two seamer but you can tell he, he, when he's starting to establish for strikes into a righty, away to a lefty with the, either the four-seamer or the two-seamer, and that just seems to open up the secondary breaking ball. Yesterday we saw the 12-6, like he mentioned there on the clip starting the show. He had the slider. You could tell the difference, right? It was the back foot. It was more of that. What is that? That's two to seven, mm-hmm. and then he would have the 12 to six. The 12-6, the eliminator. The two to seven is the eliminator. He'll throw it to lefties and righties, and he can throw a backdoor one. I've always said this to you. When you're standing on the on-deck circle and you see your buddy getting OO breaking balls, OO change-ups, OO two-seamers, OO four-seamers, now all of a sudden that puts me in doubt mode because he's very unpredictable now. You want to be unpredictable OO, you want to be unpredictable with two strikes. Now that he's being able to do that because he's got a little bit more confidence, the velocity's there, he's got through that dead arm thing. You know, was it a great start? Probably not. There's a lot of things he could work on. He only went six innings, right? He could do better, a little bit better. Six innings, though. He only went six innings, 87 pitches. That's that's Charlie's call, though. I don't think that's Jose. Or let me rephrase that. Six pitches, six innings, 87 pitches. He could have gone out for the seven. Maybe. He could have gone out for the seven. It's very hard for us to say that because we're not in the we're not in the dugout. No, but we don't what have I'm saying is, I like yeah, I don't think you can criticize him necessarily for only going six innings. No, yesterday. I'm not. He crit- probably could have gone. I'm seven. not criticizing him. I'm just saying, you know, it's. I, I think maybe if they hadn't lost five in a row, right? Maybe if maybe if some guys in the bullpen that matter the most weren't ready they had to everybody go, maybe ready. they would they push Simber- him a, an right. extra inning, but they didn't. Brios in his start before that, two runs, eight hits, five innings pitched. Have you seen? In these two starts, and that one was against Tampa, have you seen progress from Jose Barrios to the point where you are less concerned about what the next start may bring? Have you seen enough progress that you That's would? A great question. And the next start will be who? The next start will be the Philadelphia Phillies. A great believe. question. We got some balance in our lineups. Going to have to be good against lefties. Going to have to be unpredictable. He'll have to make in-game adjustments. I, I think for me, that's the last couple starts. You can actually see him. He'll throw a bad one. He does it. He it's like almost like he's done it so many times now. Between starts, 
that it, either it's flat ground, whether it's in the bullpen, that now he knows when he flips a bad one, he throws a bad two-seamer, he throws a bad four-seamer. You can actually see him working it through in his mind. And I've said this to you, it's very odd for a guy that's got 160-plus starts at big league level that don't know how to do that, that needs either a catcher or a pitching coach to go, hey, man, keep the front side in, get it out there, really concentrate on tunneling it, and you want the late break to it. But you can actually see him the last couple of starts doing it himself. So that would give you some confidence. It's just... Is it the teams he's faced? That that's what you got to ask yourself. And well, Tampa's, uh, yeah, they're free swingers. They got sort of a, a one kind of approach. And Oakland's Oakland, even though they won the first two games of the series. There you go. So yeah, I, I'm not real sure. I know how to answer that. I just think it's uh, the pace. His pace was really good. It was get it and go, get it and go, get it and go. He he would rarely shake. So him and Kirk, you were sort of on the same page, which is you can tell he needs that. He needs sort of that confidence that I know you're on the same page with me and we want to throw that pitch, which now he's not thinking about that part of it and he can think about actually setting, anchoring with his foot that's on the rubber, lifting his leg when he's supposed to, landing in the same spot, getting it out there, and then when he turns around and that pitch speed says mm -hmm. exactly what he wants it to say, and then that gives him confidence just he has because he has good pace. One of the things you talked about in Blue Jays' talk yesterday that I think – People who didn't hear it, although why you wouldn't be listening to Blue Jays know. talk, I don't, crazy. I don't know, crazy idea there. Though, uh, but people who didn't hear it might be interested. I think a, a, a lot of times when we talk about velocity, instantly people think fastball velocity. And of course, that that's understandable. But you've talked a lot about how with Barrios, there's, there is a desired velocity on that breaking pitches. There's a desired velocity on that curveball, isn't there? Can you can you talk to me about that? Because you, you noticed yesterday that, yeah, you know, the fastball velocity was there, but he was consistently 82 or 83 with the curve, which is, that's that's the happy zone, isn't it, it, it for the it, curve? Well, it is. Again, where he's moved on the rubber, now his target is smaller. You, you have to have good feel, good mechanics. Everything has to be landing in the same spot. Everything has to be out in front or it's going to be non-competitive out of the hand, and that's not what you want. And to have good velocity, good consistent velocity, would tell you all of the things before he actually releases the ball, before his back hip starts to turn, which gets his hand up, where the release point is where it's supposed to be. All those things are in sync, and it's getting out front, and that means he can locate it. And more importantly, because he's a, he likes to spin it, right? It's a, he wants different kinds of spin. Now it's 12 to 6. Now it's slider. If he's slurving, which we don't want to see as Blue Jays fans, that means he's getting on the side of the baseball, which means his wrist is underneath the baseball. It's not on top of the baseball. On top of the baseball, because he has a three-quarter arm slot, that means he can get it out there and really... You can hear me snapping my fingers, snapping my middle finger and my thumb. That's what he wants to do. He wants to really get it out there. But the way he does that is he wants the thumb on the top of the baseball. So for him to be able to do that, that's a big deal. But to know the, the velocity of his breaking ball allows him to not have to think about it. All the mechanics are there. And to be able to start it where he wants to start it, which will give him a longer tunnel, which allows it to break later which is a big deal. If he's forcing velocity and is really trying to get it out there and muscle it up, and you can see it in his face, right, when he's struggling and it's just not doing what he wants it to do, you're a human being. What, what do you want to do? Try harder. Right. 
and to get it out there and really make it break, which the velocity goes up, and that's either non-competitive or that's the cement mixer. And if I'm hitting, I like to go back leg city. Those cement mixers are very easy because all you have to do is create a little backspin with the hitting the bottom part of that baseball, and you get it up in the air. It's a big deal. So yeah, the velocity is a it's a it's a, a security blanket for him because he can turn around and see it. All the work that he's done off the field has is starting to translate. The mechanics are working. All the release point and everything's working. And now because your target's smaller is not such a big deal because the velocity's there. Uh, Bo has an 11-game hitting streak after the home run, the go-ahead home run yesterday. Matt Chapman as well had quite a series, uh, quite a final two games in Oakland, got five hits in those last two games. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Uh, he'd been he'd been in a bit of an offer up to that he's point. Not a great hitter. He's not. He's, not. he's hitting two. Was he hitting 225 now with uh, 13 homers, 40 RBI, and uh, 14 doubles? And I think we said, didn't we say at the start of the year? Our realistic expectations for Matt Chapman were close to 30 homers, and I think we said we thought maybe 40-ish doubles. That may that may be a bit of a bit of a reach in, in terms of doubles, but he's kind of what you expected him to be, hasn't he, as a hitter? Or is he is has he been less effective than you thought? He'd yeah, I, that's a that's a. a uh, I'm not again. It's about what your expectations going into the season. Like I, I think our expectations were pretty well. I, I don't think any of us thought he was going to hit 240 or 250. Why? Why, why is he not a as good, good of a hitter as he is a defender? Right. A lot of the people get caught up in that. Why he's such a great defender, like platinum gold winner, and can just do everything it takes to do as a third baseman. Anything you want him to do, he can do it. And then you see him as an offensive player, and it's so like there's so many peaks and valleys. I. He he is again. I've said this. Uh, since he needs the, a trigger. He does. Like it is. You know, why 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 you need a trigger is two things: timing and separation. Everybody everybody talks about again. You can think about Ken Griffey Jr. There's only one Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. had the little roll, stood straight up and down, and he would go. And he's the only guy that can timing wise get the front foot, front foot down and have the little separation by the time your front foot hits the ground and have your separation between your hands and your big toe a lot of people can't do that so that's why they have a trigger your triggers can be whatever makes you feel comfortable you know, it's mm-hmm. different people have but you know Bo kicks it to his ear his front foot that's that's one of his things Vladdy has the fruition of his gather like there's a there's many ways a lot of people just have a lot of hand movement like sort of Kevin Biggio. Right. That's his little trigger. Is he wants to speed up his hands, and then when the pitch starts to come, he'll slow them down just so he can feel the separation when his front foot hits the ground. That's his trigger. Matt Chapman has a lot of glide in his swing. And what I mean by the glide, because all you have to do is notice when he hits a pop-up, where does it go? Straight up. Like, it's almost impossible a lot of the times to see you pop out to the catcher. Mm-hmm. Well, we've seen that a couple of times with him this year. And why that is, is his hands follow his hip and his front foot a lot. That's why everybody says you need a trigger. Like, I, I don't know if they're saying that to him because he doesn't have one. I mean, can you gain one? Can, I, can I, you develop one? As a, he's I, what? He's 20, 27-ish? I'm not sure you could do that in season. There's a lot of expectations on him to perform at a high level. You know, you want him to to run into some homers and do some things and, and help you score runs. I'm just not sure. But adding 29, a, adding a trigger, I don't think the age matters. I just think it's what what where you're at in the season, what your expectations are. 
sort of a bit. You have to figure out what makes you comfortable. His could be leg kick, could be more hand movement. Like the elevated fastball, they're throwing him that for a reason because they see the exact same thing I see, that his hands follow his front foot and his hip. And yesterday, you could tell, he got two pitches in a row, the exact same pitch, the elevated heater. I mean, that's how they're trying to get him out because of what I just said. When your hands start to follow, your front elbow, which would be his left one, will go above his chin, mm-hmm. above his chin. Well, when your front elbow, because it's following your front foot, what does that do to your barrel? It dips your barrel basically way below your hands, which creates loft in your swing, which is not what you want to do on an elevated heater. Because if you do and you make contact with it, where does it go? Straight Woo! up. Straight up in the air. So he had one bad swing on it where he fouled it over, the, I think, the first base dugout. And then the very next one, he made a little bit of an adjustment, slowed his lower half down, got a little bit more separation. You can tell if he's on time and gets separation just a little that he can use the top. He's a very big top-hand guy. You can see that when he'll go in the dugout and he'll do something to a hitting coach, like the mm-hmm. he'll do the little windmill thing. Like he can, he feels it, and he knows what the issue is, and that's why he's trying to take his top-hand like he's punching the baseball. So you take a bad swing, you felt it, you correct it, and then you keep the, the front elbow a little closer to it's, your body, use your top-hand a little bit more, levels out your swing, you hit the middle part of the baseball, because he has power, stays in the big part of the field, is he'll it, have success that way. Is it possible, because he's talked about the impact of that hip injury, right? Now, you look at his numbers before the hip injury. 36 home runs, 91 RBI, 249 hitter. He has the hip injury. He comes back 2021, full season, plays 151 games, 210 batting average, uh, 27 home runs, 72 RBI. And he's talked about how... But how the hip injury, rotation, the, the rotation, and 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 dealing with that injury, and he's worked on it in the off season, et cetera, et cetera. Is it possible for? And I I don't know. I, I haven't asked Matt this. I, I I don't know. Is it possible for an injury like that to <clears throat> essentially not ruin your career offensively, but become? It's it's such. It's such a dramatic injury that you literally will never be the same hitter you were again because of it. Is is, is that is that possible? And and again, why I, he's hitting two twenty five. Mm-hmm. If you look at his one hundred and sixty two game average, he's a two forty one hitter with thirty run thirty one home runs and eighty four RBIs. Oh, you'll take that over one hundred and sixty two. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. You would take that. Right now, I'm looking at. I, I'm like, again, I'd be happy with you. You hit me 230, 235, play gold glove defense on this team. That's good enough. But is, is it possible that that is just the way Matt Chapman is going to have to be from this point on or I, will be from this point on? I, I mean, I guess anything's possible, and I'm not going to speak for Matt. That's a, the Injuries are different people handle that in different ways. I just look at his pre-pitch setup as a defender. And you guys can picture, because on TV I can't stand up and do this. Uh, you, you can picture – how he sets up, mm-hmm. like when the pitcher's going, he's about to release the baseball, how wide he gets, how low he gets to the ground. If a guy has hip issues, how would you be able, be able to do that? Yeah, that's true. So I look at how he he moves side to side, how he throws on the run all the time, how he's rotating, like he'll run towards the third base dugout and throw a ball across his body. If you had hip issues and you were favoring something, one of your hips, would you be able to do all those kind of things and be able to be accurate with it? I wouldn't think you'd be able to. So I would say no to that. But, again, I don't want to speak for Matt. Just know what you're looking at and know what you're seeing. 
I just that for me doesn't hide the fact that he needs a trigger. Like mm-hmm. I, I think his numbers because he has power can't teach power. You're either you're either born with it or you're not. I can teach you how to lay off a breaking ball. I can't teach you how to hit a homer. He's got that already. But if he just added a little trigger, which would allow him to be a little bit more on time, have a little bit better separation, would allow him to, when he does want to attack the baseball, have a better chance of having maximum collision with that instead of the leakage. Leakage is, yeah, yeah, well, okay. Joe Sill's done this little, uh, he was talking about somebody, and I can't remember who it was, but he talks about having the front hip leak, and he's actually done that on TV. So if you could pull that up, is that's exactly sort of what Matt Chapman does, is when you leak, that means you're not on time, and your hands follow. And when your hands follow, your back elbow dips, creates your front elbow to go above your chin, your barrel dips way below, and you're either... Out and around, you have alligator arms, or you do what Matt does because he's a two-hand finish guy, get the ball straight up in the air. So I just think it's not probably not something he can do in season. I don't know if that's a big move, but that's a move you have to talk yourself into. He's so consistently doing it the way he's doing it now that, again, if those numbers, if he if hits 30 homers and drives in 80 runs, the way he plays defense, boy, you take that every day and twice on Sunday. Yeah. No, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very true. Um, you know, I think we just, we, we've talked about that, but I do find it, I, I do find it interesting that when he, when Matt Chapman does make contact, he makes a lot of contact. He does. And, you, and, and I think it leaves you, it leaves you kind of wondering. It leaves you kind of wondering what his ceiling would have been as a hitter. Yeah, how many times he flown out to the warning track, like hit a line <sighs> drive to the warning track? Just think if he had everything going into right eyes on the baseball, everything from his backside, the rotation, everything in his power that could maximize that. If he had a little something going back, right? Why do you think a pitcher has a windup? Why do you think a pitcher raises his leg? He wants to gain momentum. So when his foot hits the ground, everything he has can go towards the target. Hitting is no different. If he stands straight up and down, you're not going to throw everything you have at the baseball. So you can't argue the 30 home. I mean, if he hits 30 homers, that's how many has he got? 12, 13, 14? 13. I mean, he's, he's probably uh, he's he's 82 sh- games. I mean, he's 25. 25 still yeah. good. He drives in 70 homers or 70 RBIs after – you know, sort of the slow start. He said he's trying too hard. He wants to impress. He does that's a pretty good year. The Jays will open a four-game series against the Mariners tonight in Seattle. 10-07 is the first pitch. Casey Lawrence expected to be on the mound for the Jays oh. against Marco Gonzalez. Ross Stripling against George Kirby. George Kirby, their top pitching prospect in game two. Robbie Ray and Alec Manoa on Saturday. That'll be a lot of fun. Of course, mm-hmm. Robbie Ray did not accompany the team to Toronto because of the border vaccine requirements. And right now, at least, you say Kikuchi is scheduled to go on Sunday against Chris Flexen, although Charlie Montoyo did tell reporters yesterday, and this is a quote, he was asked about whether or not somebody else may make that start for Kikuchi. All options are on the table, and that's one of them. That from that from Charlie Montoyo. That's no question yesterday. for me. No way he's making that start. 
Not well, chance. I said if he does, if he not does, then you know the coaching staff's not making the call here. Yeah, it's not a chance. The 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 one you said Saturday, Alec Manoa, be very interesting. We've never seen him have a start after a bad start. Never never seen him have a bad start. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the I guess the start he had was a bad start in his eyes. It was see how see how he handles it. Will he be overthrowing? Will he be trying to force break? Like it'd be interesting. Some people handle coming back after a start in different kinds of ways. And it'd be just interesting to see, you know, I, I'm sure he'll handle it fine and he'll forget about it. And exactly. He's a guy that usually what he says, he does. Mm-hmm. He said he forgot about it as soon as he was talking to reporters after the game. Be interesting to see how he handles that and, and how you'll attack guys and ha- what the velocity will look like, Jeff. Kevin Gossman, of course, will not make the start. It was just as a result of that ankle injury, uh, which I, I don't think anybody look my only, I was happy. It wasn't fractured. Uh, I'm when Kevin Gossman's ready to make his next start, they, they he'll be ready to make his next They can't lose start. him for long periods of no, time and you, think they're going to make the playoffs. No, you need to nope. You need to be really careful with Yeah, their depth's not great. With that, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> that's, a ni- that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> You're welcome. That's a nice way of putting it. Uh, 11 o'clock, Ryan Roland Smith, Mariners analyst and host of the Top Step podcast, will join us to take a look at the Mariners. Dan Shulman, Blue Jays play-by-play voice on Sportsnet. He'll be along at 11.30. We'll look back at the Oakland series and really look ahead to that uh, Seattle series. We are going to do Barker's back leg bits in the first hour. DMs are still open. And my Twitter handle is SNJeffBlair. We'll do that in the first hour to give Dan and Ryan all the time they need to say what they need to say. Before we break, Kevin Jordan Romano gets the save, his first save since June 19th, only his third save opportunity since May 31st. Mm-hmm. I believe it's his eighth outing since May 31st. He hit 98 yesterday, looked like a closer. He looked rested. Looked rested. <laughs> I mean, you said it. <laughs> if he's needed tonight, what would you expect to see tonight from 98. him? 98. Look, it, it seems like they've really been working on a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. We're hearing that the working on you, the slider. Sir, you, and... you better see the translation from back-to-back outings. Yeah. It looked free and easy to me yesterday. I joked about the – you know, he looked – he like, looked like, like a closer yesterday. He came in through 98 uh, and got guys out, and there, there was no drama. There you go. So there was yeah, no drama. There I mean, you go. It, was I mean, it, it was the It was the Oakland A's, but I guess. I, I like the velocity. I like the free and easy. I like that he wasn't trying to force velocity, which he's been trying to do, I don't want to say all year, but a lot of the year. And it just looked like it was coming off the fingers the way it was supposed to. Now, mechanically, unless you slow that thing down to the nth degree, you have no idea what he's trying to do differently. He looked like he's standing maybe a little taller mm-hmm. before he was actually releasing the baseball, which would take tension off of his lower half. He is a a a big lower half guy. You remember when he first came up, he's doing that big giant squat. Right, the Ken Giles that, squat. You do that a bazillion times in a, in a you know in a couple outings. It's gonna wear you out. So it just looked to me like he simplified that a little bit more. He's standing a little taller, and it just looked easier. Like the velocity was coming off the fingers, and it was supposed to be what the number was supposed to be. Yeah. And I think that's the first time we've seen that in a while. So the answer to your question, I expect the exact same thing. I was going to mention something about Jordan Romano. Oh, and, uh, we, were, yeah, we were talking about what they were working on in the bullpen. They've been working on the slider, and they have been working on some – some other mechanic. Slider didn't things. look good to me yesterday. Didn't do a lot of breaking. He's harder. I mean, he's 90s, so 90s on the slider. Did it look like he's breaking to you? 
I mean, I'm a, I, me, me, I'm a high-octane high guy. If he can maneuver around because he is a deception guy, he's a crossfire guy, he's hard to pick up, especially against right-handed hitters. He can, he can somewhat locate the heater and with two strikes elevate 98. Don't mess around with the slider too much. I know he falls in love with that a lot, but you're giving him a chance. We are going to go to Barker's back leg bits. Again, DMs are open. SN Jeff Blair is my Twitter handle. We have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of questions for Kevin. We'll get to them next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Roland Smith and Dan Schulman join us at 11 o'clock. We've got a pair of tickets to give away to see the Jays and the Kansas City Royals on July 15th. And uh, as we mentioned, first of four games against the... First of four games against the, Mar- the Mariners goes tonight. What were you looking at? I was trying to cheat and see what the question was. Oh, we don't have a question yet. Oh, you don't? Oh, how are you going to give away tickets if you don't know what the question is? Well, because our uh, our uh, highly skilled and uh, intelligent, intelligent staff will present. Where's He's he at, Jeff? Maybe gone to get coffee. <laughs> For who? You know. Mm. You know what time it is in addition to coffee time? It's time for Barker's Back Leg Bits. Mr. Gann, thank you very much for joining us. Be honest, you don't remember Kevin Barker as a player, do you? It's like 50 years ago we played. Good morning, guys. No, I drink too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I guess managing Kevin Barker. He he wouldn't know me if he fell on me. How about that? (laughs) How do you like that? No idea who I'd be. No, no chance. How many people do you think? But uh, all kidding aside, how many people can, in, especially considering how much work he's done in winter ball? I wonder how many guys Ozzie Guillen has managed. They just doesn't know. He just doesn't remember. I'd say most of them, <laughs> <laughs> unless he won a World Series with Ozzie. Sure, Ozzie, uh, Ozzie, uh, Ozzie doesn't remember. He was a player coach when I was. Yeah, he's. I, he's I'm pretty the, sure the. I'm pretty sure the manager that was there got fired. And I think they came and, and asked who wanted to be the manager, and Ozzy was the only guy that raised his hand. Mike B. wants to know, are you concerned, Kevin, that the offense might be getting back to squeezing the bats and being too try-hard instead of being patient? He, uh, Mike says he hasn't seen them taking an awful lot of walks lately. Um, what are you seeing from the offense? recently because again the team did lose you know we focus on the pitching a lot because it seems as if it's been one pitching crisis after another but uh the jays and the jays in june were really good offensive team i i people still seem to have this idea that the jays were a mess offensively in june they they were they were good in june they were good in june and through 81 games we talked about this yesterday weight of runs created plus 113 fourth in baseball home runs fifth in baseball Runs scored 381, seventh in baseball. The, the hitting, big picture, the hitting hasn't been an issue. 
Well, it's amazing how bad Even, you look when Blatty looks the way he's looked lately. Well, th this is what That's I was going to say. The hitting, big picture of hitting hasn't been an issue, even mm -hmm. though it seems as if it's been. It's like the Red Sox kind of when one over, of the big three's not issue. hitting. How bad their team look? It's the exact same thing with the Blue Jays. It's funny that question was asked because I wrote down from yesterday's game four things about the hitting. You want me to read it? Yeah, read it. Big cuts with two strikes. Swing at the first pitch, curveball out of the zone was against somebody you've never seen before. Who is this? Is Flatty you're talking about, or in general? Any, anybody? Any but that okay. that one was <laughs> that about one was that Vladdy. was about Flatty. He swung at four first pitch balls, which just I don't understand that. Take fastball middle, swing at a curveball away. That's not a good approach. O one count, chase slider. O two instead of one one. Those when you're a good hitter, the difference between a you can call them chase counts one one two zero. Those are giant pitches. Because mm -hmm. if I'm a pitcher on the mound, I'm trying to get ahead. I don't want to fall behind. If I'm behind and I want to get back in account, how do I do it? And you're a hitter and you're trying to think along with that and you chase and you put yourself back in protect mode instead of being aggressive and being yourself. This is a lot of the bats that you see, especially from Vladdy, a lot. Like you see... Plate awareness, controlling the strike zone. There's many definitions for both of those things that I just said, and it's very individual. But a lot of the things is I always talk about maximum collision with baseballs. You can't do that unless you don't get your pitch. And a lot of that trying to chase area code is not going to work at the big league level. Even if you are facing teams that are one of some of the worst teams in baseball, you still have to go up and it's okay to be Behind counts. It's okay to take a pitcher's pitch. Alejandro Kirk's first at bat, and the reason why I wrote that down, six pitches, four fastballs, the fifth one was a single. It was a, And his next at bat was a 2-0 fastball middle. The reason why I said that is in his first at bat, he saw six pitches. He saw four, fa four fastballs. The fifth one he saw, he got a single. He got to a 2-0 count. He got a fastball. He hit a fastball for a single up the middle. That's how you have professional at-bats. There's a reason why he's hitting over 300. Mm -hmm. He puts himself in good counts, especially early in games. Going up and swinging an 0-0 curveball that's a foot above the strike zone, that's not a quality at-bat. That's a Kevin Barker at-bat. It's not a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at-bat. So, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. We talk about how the starting pitching sort of dictates how your entire team looks. When Vladdy looked the way he looked yesterday, it just their offense looked blah. It really does. Like, it just don't look good. And you saw Vl Vladdy yesterday. I mean, you know, everybody kind of chuckled about him going and sitting in the bullpen. Uh, after that at bat because of where, the, because of where the bullpens are, and the reason are, are, are why located. I, the reason why I want to do that, I want to get as far away from my bat as I could possibly get away from it. I And I'm not kidding. I've done that. I can't tell you how many times. Like the changeup that he had Fanny out on the first pitch and hit that little weak ground ball, you want to run as far away from your bat as you could possibly run away from it. I've been there before. I've done that. I know how that was, and I didn't think how that's close. Funny. Where could you do that? Because in, in a lot of places, There's the bullpens a, aren't that close. I, well, I, I guess AAA there. Yeah. No, you never went and sat in Absolutely. the stands. Absolutely. Well, when I no, you when didn't. I when I played, there was no there was no netting. Like that netting hasn't been there. It's just started being there. So like you'd you, go and you sit in the stands. Many, you could run many different places. Like you could run over and stand in foul territory. Like I just. Yeah, I've been there. Like, it's very frustrating. You don't do it a lot of the times because it, it draws unwanted attention to yourself like it did with Vladdy, and it tells everybody that you're going through things. Yeah. Like, it's like a pitcher, starting pitcher, who shows visual 
frustration on the mound. Walks around, rubs the ball too much. Like, you can see him talking to himself. Well, that shows me as a hitter and fans that are watching that you're not confident in what you're doing. Hitting's no different. Kirsten told me this when I was playing. I've got you beaten on the on-deck circle. And I'm like, what? I was playing pool with him one day. He told me that. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, I can look on the on-deck circle and, and know before you ever walk up that you're beat. I got you. There's something to that, especially at the big league level. you got to act like you're good before everybody else thinks you're good. And Vladdy is just – I've been telling you this. He's in between something. <clears throat> his, bat, his bat moves a lot. And for whatever reason, he can't figure that out. Like his – you you think about the way he's – forget about his lower half because the timing with his second little fluition and the step that he goes is late, which creates the bat moving a lot. Like he'll start it where he starts. You can close your eyes and, and picture where he starts his bat. And then he takes his first little gather that he has. He – puts his bat straight up and down, and then when he starts to swing, what's he do? He takes his barrel above his head. That's so much movement. And mm-hmm. that's why you see him playing catch-up, and he got the alligator arm, and his barrel's not in the hitting zone a long time, and he hits a ground ball to third or ground ball to short. He's playing catch-up a lot. And I don't think looks to me like anyway. He hasn't figured out how to fix it. The young guy said this. When you don't struggle at the minor league level like he didn't, how do you now all of a sudden you have to figure out how to struggle and how to and, make up for that and know what to like you're trying to it's a li- process of elimination. Now you're going off the field thinking about, well, if I do this, I do that. Well, that's not working. So I've eliminated that. And that's a big process. That's why they want to leave you in the minor leagues to let you struggle and figure those kind of things out. So when you go to the big leagues, your struggles are minute and not giant. And the thing so with, going through it now. The thing with Vladdy, too. This year in particular, he's had it's been it's been an odd year for him. You're right. It's been kind of an in-between year because he has had periods of time where he hasn't gone on a heater, really, but he's looked a little more like the Vladdy you thought you'd see in you. And when you see him in that, your natural instinct is to think, okay, he's just he's an at-bat or a game away for it's like the pitcher that. Oh, he's only one pitch away from getting a double play and getting out of this. It's the same thing with Vladdy. When you see those games, you go, man, this could be the game that gets that gets Vladdy going. And and we've seen time and time this year where he'll have a couple of good games and then it just kind of stops. And he's not, it's not horrible. And he's playing good defense. So it's not the type of thing where you're pulling your hair out. But then all of a sudden he'll have a game where he goes two for four or something like that and he looks more comfortable. It's... It's it's been just an okay year for Vladdy. There was so, just okay. There was so much attention with down and away early in the season for him, and then that's when you started hearing the low T and the uppercut. And and when you draw attention, when you're an organization, you're you're a hitting coach, you're outside noise, and you draw attention to that. What's that do? Now you're so worried about protecting that place that you forget about what you're really good at, right? Okay. What if I have an issue down there? If you throw me three strikes down there, I'm going to tip my hat and walk away. But if you miss because I can protect a lot of other things, mm-hmm. I'm going to hammer that thing because I have such a level swing and I have bat speed and bat the ball skills like nobody on planet Earth. But it just seems to me like there's been so much attention to his kryptonite's down and away. Okay, so what? You're just like every other hitter that's ever been alive. You have a weakness. Okay, forget about your weakness because most pitchers – are not going to be able to throw three of them down there. They're just not going. If you can lay off of one of them, 
and take the close one, sooner or later they're going to flip you one that's going to be right down the middle. But it's that part of it. Like he just had a real issue of trying to protect that so much and expanding there that when he does get one, what's he do? He overswings at it. Like he just can't believe he's gotten it there. And now he's over swinging at it and he's swinging from the hip and you see him sort of spinning on his heels and spinning himself in the ground. He's a, he's a great hitter because his numbers, I mean, he's still probably going to hit close to 40 big ones. But you can tell, like, I, it's funny when I saw him running down the line and go down there and sit in that, because I've done it. Yeah, you. I, I know we, we were texting and I know, you know, everybody kind of got a chuckle out of it and, uh, you know, Vladdy being Vladdy and you kind of had a different take. You said that's... That's not necessarily uh, ha ha he he. I'm doing something funny, you know. That's more frustration. That's calling thing. your agent, getting a new batch of bats, and getting you a new uniform, and changing your cleats, and getting rid of all your arm guards. <laughs> That's what that is. Uh, Andy in London, England, wants to know if this year's Jays team is similar to the 2013 team that on paper had so much promise and expectations. And, and of course, we've talked about that team. That was the R.A. Dickey team. And, uh, um, and, it, yeah, and that season started with that game in Toronto, with, or, or his start in Toronto with all the past balls, and it was just a mess. And it was like the air came out of the balloon right away. Right away. I, no, I, this is different than 2013 because that was kind of a team that was put together. They'd made a big trade, getting Jose Reyes and bringing a bunch of guys in. And um, mm-hmm. this is this is a this is more of a a homegrown unit. I, this is still like Kevin. This is we got to say this. This is still a good. It is lineup. It is. It's a good it's, team. It's, it's a, a good, good team. team. It's a good team. It's not. It doesn't look good right now because one of the big dogs isn't hitting and they've got pitching issues. And I think but this is still the bones of this team, the guts of this team, I think are still pretty good. It's, it's taken a, a Yankees team to have an historic season for it to make the other teams in the American League East look That's the right. way they look. Would you feel that? I'll ask people. Oh, this. yeah, ask them the question. I'll, I'll ask you that. I mean, if, if this team was playing the way it is and was. Seven and a half back. There you go. Eight back out of first place. Sure. You'd be looking at it and going, well, it's not what we thought, but you can make up eight games. We do have to keep in mind that I guarantee you they're asking the same questions in Boston. Nope. They're asking the same questions in Tampa. There's mm-hmm. only there's only one other city. There are two other cities. Now, there's three other cities where they're not asking that, that question. Right. One Houston, they're not asking that question. Mm-hmm. Two, Minnesota, they're in first place. And three, Cleveland, because they're doing more than everybody thought they they're doing better than everybody thought they would. But I guarantee you, Tampa and Boston, they're asking the same things the Jays are asking. And you do have to put it and keep it in perspective. You are seeing seeing a Yankees team with a dude who's got 30 home runs at the 82 game mark. Crazy. You know, you're seeing a Yankees team that, and who would have thought this? They're starting pitching by and large. It's been the same group for 81 mm-hmm. games. They've avoided serious pitching injuries to the starters. They had an injury to Roldis Chapman, but they'd already kind of prepared themselves for the possibility that he was going to be on the downslide. Mm-hmm. The Yankees are, you know, you're, 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 you're measuring your team right now against a team that is historically good. Mm-hmm. And, 
and we have to be not just fans, but we have to be careful it's about hard, that. It's as hard well. to forget. We about, have to be careful. It, it's about hard, it. it's hard not to look at that. There's so such a big separation between the two behemoths in the American League. Just so happens one of them's in the Blue Jays division. It's very hard to look away from that. Again, it's the expectation, and I still think if Ross can go out and make a a couple of bigger moves, can't be the names that he's added so far. Has to be some bigger moves. A little kick in the derriere, and maybe Vladdy have a little time away in the All Star game. In the All Star, I mean, he's going to the All Star game, but have a little time away, have some fun. Maybe he comes back. Maybe they can make a little bit better run at it, look a little different. Mindset's a little different. Maybe they can make a decent run at it. This is from a couple of days ago, but I, w- I wanted to get to it uh, yesterday. Uh, Bobby Falcone from Sydney, Nova Scotia, wants to know what you think has happened to Teoscar Hernandez this year. He wants to talk about what you think in, in terms of his swing uh, and, and where the power numbers, why the power numbers aren't there. Huh. Uh, well, I, that's... I, it's a loaded I, I, question. It is. I, it is. I, I know he's... I know the the injury early was was a was is a thing. Like he's a he needs reps. He's that kind of guy. All the all the things that happen with his lower half. Now it's been simplified. The little the little knee turn that he has, he can repeat that over and over again. He has had a longer swing. I know he is trying hard to be paid. He he thinks he should be paid like big boy, get paid. And sometimes when you try a little too hard to do things, you tend to overswing. You chase. You know, and there's again this this expectations things. A lot of guys handle this differently. Uh, again, that that's a that's a very hard question to answer. But I would think it's just you're not seeing for, anything. For me, I don't think so. Screams to you that he's he, mechanically he's the same. It looks to me like he's swinging at the same sort of kind of pitches. Uh, you know, the big boy hitting in front of him is not doing other than Kirk. I know Kirk's hitting in front of him now, but the big boy that's hitting in front of Kirk there is not sort of doing his thing. All the time they feed off of that. He may think he needs to pick up the pace when it comes to being sort of the big boy. And again, I, I this is just me. Now again, I have never talked to Tay Oscar about this, but I would think you want to be paid like a big boy. You sort of get off to a slow start. You're trying to make up for it. You try too hard because he's a human being. Mm-hmm. It starts to look sort of like it's looking now. And and let's keep in mind, Tay Oscar's kind of. We we look at him as being part of the core of this team, but he's a little farther advanced than those other guys. He's a little With older in his up. career. Mm-hmm. And he's he's you know a free agent in a couple of years, mm-hmm. so he's he's at a different he's at a different stage this, than than Bo or I don't Vladdy. know about you, Jeff, but the, the the his year the way it's going, what we know about how what Charlie's done, giving him a break occasionally when he needs to you know the baseball cue just not sh- showing up the way he wants it to show up. For me, if you're an organization, make it real easy to put him in a trade too. But that's just me. I, I I will I will tell you this I'm I'm certainly if I'm the Blue Jays I'm I don't know how aggressive I would be in wanting to buy out a year of his free agency or two years of his free agency no. uh, you know and and we don't know how far discussions got in the off season on a contract but you have to think that certainly the the topic was broached but yeah I'm I'm with you I I. And 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 maybe Teoscar's one of those. I've told you, I th- I think and I know. I mean, I've talked to you that there are guys who get multi-year contracts, and they do become better players. Everybody has this idea that every mm-hmm. time you sign somebody to multi-year contract, they suck. That everybody plays better when they're hungry. And that's not always the case. Not. That's not always the case. Mm-mm. And he might have been a guy who 
he might have been a guy who who really needed that security, that multi. Aaron contract. Judge has ruined that theory for everybody. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's you, true. Well, you just look at Tay Oscar, and if you're Ross and you're trying to trade, you got a couple of teams. The Marlins comes to mind because that pitcher you want to trade for. The Reds. Oakland with Frankie Montas. Now the injuries going through how how you would try and Oscar doesn't make the, a lot the, of the, sense there though because you, so but that's what I'm saying. Like if you wanted to give up one of your catchers, you yeah. you would try to sweeten the pot with a Teoscar and maybe a lower end prospect to get one of those guys. Brian Reynolds comes to mind because he's a a what the position he plays. He's a switch hitter. He would make some sense. Maybe that would be what you would throw in. But his age with the Pirates doesn't make a ton of sense. But you could see some interest. Mm-hmm on trying to give it up, and he's so right-handed, your team's so right-handed, and you got to ask yourself legitimately, can you win a World Series without Teoscar? Yeah, I think you can. There you go. And you ask yourself when you look at the right-handers on that team, the right-handed hitters in that team, forget Bo and Vladdy. Springer's here forever. Uh, Chapman's got a, a, a multi-ring. You're not moving Chapman anyhow just because of all the stuff that he that he gives you. I mean, realistically, it's it's been the same. To me, it's been the same two guys until Alejandro Kirk came along. It's been the same two guys for about three years, and that was Teoscar and or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And if you pushed me up against the wall and said you got to pick one guy of those two that you would keep, I would still I would still keep Lourdes. That's yeah, I mean, just me. I would still keep Lourdes. Yeah, me too. I think the the average is there. The, the consistency of ups and downs and what he could give you where he plays in the outfield, the, the urgency that he runs the bases with, I, I'm with you. And I think you could use Teoscar money that you might give him to yes. basically make you a bullpen. Yeah. Uh, last question, Lieutenant Dan. I love it. In Halifax wants to know Danny Jansen's return. Do you think that might have a measurable impact on the performance of the rotation? No doubt. Absolutely. And we're expecting to see Danny in this series. You think. would think so. Uh, that's That's the word, I think, is the rumbling that – yeah, hurry! <laughs> like, please get up absolutely. here. Absolutely. Now, is it going to help you say Kikuchi? I don't think anything's going to help him right now. I, I think he's his own worst enemy. That's just me. But he's no doubt going to help the flow, the pace. Just, just watch the guy yesterday pitching. Do you the pace? How much better it was? And Danny Jansen brings that. The the homework he does. He's very familiar with the league. What it takes. Oh, oh, what it takes with two strikes. Efficiency. Action in three or four pitches. I just think the veteran guy back there can give it to you a little bit better than the other guys can give it to you. Do you send Moreno down right away? Absolutely. When you bring Jansen up. Absolutely. No, no question. question not mind. even a thought. Hmm? Unless I have to trade him. Ryan Roland Smith is a Mariners analyst. He's host of the Top Step podcast. He will join us at 11 o'clock. The Mariners are on a bit of a roll. They've won four in a row. Dan Shulman, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer, joins us from Seattle. And I have a pair of tickets to give away to the July 15th game at the Rogers Center against the Kansas City Royals. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.